Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks, man. How are you? I am very good. I am in Frankfurt. He's in Frankfurt. Yeah, having seen the last gig of Ed Sheeran's European tour. It's a bunch of friends uh, wanted to go along, so we went down and it was very good fun indeed. It's not the, not the, it's not the, um, the first time I was expecting to visit uh, Eintracht Stadium, but great vibes. It's a gorgeous stadium. It's amazing, it's really, isn't it? Wow, yeah, really it's special. so good, man. Yeah. Oh, wow, amazing, amazing. Nice, vibes. yeah. Frankfurt crowds—they were hyped as well. They go hard. Yeah, they they they, <laughs> they did. They were like, it take, takes a while to to warm up crowds here, but um, they got they got in like about five songs, six songs, and they were standing up and pretty much stayed that way for most of the gig. So yeah, Frankfurt crowds, man, very special. Look at that, Frankfurt crowds, everyone. There we go. You heard it here first. There's well, one takeaway really from this podcast. <laughs> Frankfurt crowds, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Let's do some admin quick. Oh, me, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. You know, steady away. All good. All good. Steady away. Uh, let's do some admin. We hope everyone else is staying safe and well. It feels like there's, uh, there's a lot of like, bugs going around at the moment. Everyone mm. I know keeps like getting sick. So look after yourself, people. Yeah, yeah. I nearly felt like I was going to say stay woke. Stay woke. No, listen, quite frankly... We could do with a bit more of that round here. I agree. We could do. <laughs> I agree. All the people that, here's the thing, all the people they laughed at for being too woke were trying to warn them. It turns out we're actually right. <laughs> Someone sent a tweet that said, ah, oh, turns out the alarmists were actually correct. <laughs> uh, what's the point of an alarm? Right. That's literally the point. That's to, <laughs> to make you aware of something. Yeah. Well. You still like this podcast until they start talking about politics? Oh, woke podcast. Oh. oh, no, oh, no. Oh, well. <laughs> Such is life. Hope, hopefully I'll be cancelled. Woke Wonga. <laughs> woke Wonga. <laughs> anyway, um, stay well, everyone, because, yeah, I don't know whether it's like the changing of the seasons mm. or just everyone is so immune to COVID now that they're just getting everything else. 
people also run down, you know. They are run down. People also run down. I've a run down recently. I get the bit yeah, that's a big thing. So yeah. yeah, be careful, everyone. Like people are pushing themselves hard, and their body is eventually saying no. So just um, yeah, try and get. I mean, to also like that. Yeah. just a massive disclaimer: we're not doctors. Don't listen to us. Go and see an actual doctor. Yes, this also. Yes, this yes. too. This too. Do not take our advice on anything health related. It's well, or anything that matters. Just anything. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. In fact, why we're not really sure why anyone listens. But anyway, I'm not liable for my takes. I'm not liable. Oh God. Yeah. Shit. Usually, I I am. That's why you. That's why you're so freewheeling with them. <laughs> anyway, a little bit of admin. So, Wrighty's house this week will be myself and Flo in the studio with Ian, along with a special guest that we're just gonna we're just gonna drop on you when when we're there. And love it, um, love it. exciting. We're recording studio ahead of England Germany. Mm. We will talk about that on Wrighty's house. And we'll also talk a lot about the the Women's Super League weekend. We're going to touch on a little bit of that today as well, but we'll touch on some more stuff on Righty's House. But anyway, don't forget, if you haven't found Righty's House yet, go to the Righty's House Twitter account. There are a load of links on there that we posted. I think the only one that's still playing up is Google. Just a little something I just want to put out there for everyone. I don't actually upload the podcasts, me. And I don't actually, I'm not responsible for... The podcast, since we've been on The Ringer, that is no longer my responsibility of making sure that it is on all platforms. So you're basically saying don't come for me. <laughs> uh, so for Stadio today, we're going to talk about some WSL as well. We're also going to talk about what's going on with the uh, Spain women's national team. Mm. Big story coming out there. And to yeah. be honest, it's been a story that's been rumbling on for a while and goes back a long time. And we're also going to talk a little bit about England because England were relegated from their group mm. in the UEFA Nations League. And we're just, you and I are just going to have a little bit of a chat about England. Yeah, it's a bit of um, that relegation. It does matter, actually. Um, I think, think timing-wise it does, but let's save it, it for does. when we talk we'll about it. it. We'll save it, we'll save it, we'll save it. So let's get into it after this. All right, man, let's talk, on the, let's talk about the Women's Super League because I think we'll probably talk more about the games specifically on Wrighty's House. Mm, just a general, a general mood. I mean, because take. it was a record-breaking attendance weekend in the Women's Super League. There was a record-breaking attendance in the Super League, specifically at the Emirates Stadium for the North London Derby. 47,370, yeah. uh, sorry, 367 at the North London Derby, which broke the previous record of 38,262, which was set in the reverse fixture a couple of years ago at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Arsenal won the game 4-0. As you'd expect, really, yeah. yeah. Well, I expected slightly more in terms of enterprise from Spurs, I must say. I think they had more than they offered. I think they actually had, um, you know, I think the, the early goal really hurt Spurs because if you saw how they set up, I thought they contained Arsenal fairly well to the second goal. And I really felt like, tactically, I wonder if, the, the plan was containment and then counter-strike, right? But they didn't, they didn't get the containment right, mm. which is a real shame for them, actually, because they do have players, good ball players, in particular Jessica Naz looked really, really good. And I thought, she, I thought her speed and touch could have been used better than they were. But I don't know, just Spurs were a bit conservative and ended up getting, unfortunately, what they should have expected from this fixture. Um, and Arsenal were, just, Arsenal were just dominant, especially down that left side. Yeah, there were. There were a couple of um, 
there are a couple of interesting changes. Um, Stina Blackstenius dropping to the bench mm. and Arsenal playing with the front three, I suppose, of Miedema as the nine, uh, Caitlin Ford and Beth Mead either side. Yeah. And they just looked a little bit more, what's the word? They looked, they really, really pressed Spurs pretty high up. Yeah, yeah. And had a few chances before it went to 2-0. Like you say, I think it cut, when it, when it went 2-0, that seemed like that was kind of it for Spurs. But Arsenal much, before yeah. then had a few chances. Like Steph Catley had one. I think Caitlin Ford had one. Kim Little had one. Mm. Uh, I think Beth Mead had another one before her goal. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, really, really was. I mean, it was it was kind of an onslaught, to be honest. Yeah, Viv Miedema had one as well before she scored. So there were a few good few chances. And I think that's quite encouraging from Arsenal because, especially ahead of the second leg against Ajax, because when, we went to, when Flo and I were at the Ajax game, at home last week, there were patches of a play where Arsenal just seemed a little bit passive. And it's a mm. trait that has crept in if, a little bit over the last couple of years from Arsenal. And what I think they did really well here was they were a little bit more ruthless. Yes. And you could, like, this was it this? I think it was the second goal of Viv Miedemars where Caitlin Ford steps up, wins the ball high, and yeah. Miedemars basically threw on goal. And they were doing that quite a lot. They were winning the ball high. They were pressing Spurs really high up the pitch. And I think it was it was quite encouraging to see because I think they're going to have to go and do that to Ajax in the second leg of the, second leg of the Champions League because they're no, you know, that's not going to be an easy game. You know, I was, yeah, I was surprised by how narrow, you know, when you have a back three, you're meant to have width. This is the thing. You're not meant to be narrow with the back three. And one thing about um, the narrowness of the back three meant that Medium, I was actually caught in a lot of traffic for most of that first half, mm. actually. Funny, I mean, very, very patient performance from her because she really was getting boxed out quite a lot by just the sheer number of bodies in that space. But again, like encouraging for Arsenal, not just in terms of the chance creation, but the patience, actually. Yeah. You know, like you don't often see, you very often see teams which go a goal up or which are, you know, being held by a team that's sitting low resort to more frustrated efforts. But Arsenal didn't, they just kept playing their football. Um, and actually, funnily enough, that gave Spurs a chance to do more than they did. One thing that was a bit disappointing from Spurs was their failure to switch play really well. Mm. It was really disappointing, actually, when they got the ball in good attacking areas, just not finding the extra outlet pass. Um, yeah, so just it really just a surprising conservatism from them in the derby, I, would, I thought. Yeah, I still think there is, there is obviously like a huge, yeah, there's a gap, huge I mean, gap in quality. There's always a danger with, um, when people look at derbies, they kind of almost like assume that because they're two clubs that play close together or have traditional rivalry, mm -hmm. they are actually close in terms of quality, but the resources are just, they're just not the same. It's not the same. A yeah. yeah. um, couple of other results in the uh, Women's Super League. Brighton bounced back from their opening day defeat to beat Reading 2-1. Uh, another goal for Rachel Daly, this time an early penalty for Villa. They beat Leicester 2-0 uh, in Leicester. Uh, Manchester United beat West Ham 2-0, which is a great result for them. They've, they've yeah. had a, had a uh, a very tidy start to the season, uh, two wins and two. And uh, Chelsea bounced back as well from opening day that shock, opening day defeat to beat Man City. And I want to say were good value for it, but there were chances that Man City had that where yeah, they yeah. could have probably Bob maybe a really good save for Anne Catherine Berger or a little bit of poor finishing. Yeah. Chelsea could have been been in trouble again. Lauren Hemp impressive. I mean, 
the, yeah, this is a win they really, really need. And the thing about Man City, even in transition, they are in a bit of transition. They've lost you know, some big players. But even when they're in transition, they've got enough attacking players to really hurt you potentially. Mm. But again, Fran Kirby delivering and playing again an unusual role, kind of left, almost like a left wing back. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. K- kind of. Kind she, of. She, although she ended up coming so central. Yeah, I mean, so always, much of the game. Yeah. Coming to pockets of space and again, just being mm. decisive. Uh, they were good value for this, I think, in the end. 2-0 uh, is a fair margin, I think, in terms of the balance of mm. the play and the match control. And Guru Wright in playing behind uh, Lauren James and Sam Kerr. Lauren James was very good. Yeah, I, I like the way the, the, direct, the direct running. Um, I think her and, her and sort of Drew Spence are two players that really break the field really well. And I think, have, I felt that both players have been slightly underused at their clubs, in my opinion. But it's good to see well, her I mean, it's been run. interesting from, because, uh, do you remember when we were talking to Emma Hayes last year and she was saying that it was kind of, was, was it something, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but she said mm. something about it being, um, it's not fair that Lauren James isn't playing. Right. Or something like that. You know, she was, and she was very kind of frank about it. She, mm. she just said, yeah, it's not fair. They deserve to play. She deserves to play. She's training really well. But, you know, they went and won the league. And so it's hard to, it's hard to really argue with too many of Emma Hayes' decisions. But she was obviously signed from Manchester United at the beginning of last season. Didn't really get a look in. And if you think recently, she's now, what, started playing for England. She broke through at Chelsea. She was really impressive in this game. Few people have tipped her to be the breakout star in the WSL this season, and feels a weird thing to say considering she had obviously right exactly almost a semi breakout period at Manchester United. But this could be a season where she really elevates to another level. Yeah, exactly. It won't feel so much like a a, a breakout season as a, a season re-breakout. where she gets get, yeah gets her due basically just gets her due gets her platform a reemergence. Yeah, but I like I like this front three like Kerr, Wrighton, and. James, it gives you a bit of everything. It gives you, they've all yeah. got great movement. They can all finish. Very direct runners. Very vertical, as some tacticians might say. Yeah, they, they just have such a great drive. I saw it and I thought, wow, that's going to cause a lot of problems. A lot of confusion. I mean, the thing that we've said numerous times about Chelsea last season, and I think it's, it's no change for this season, is just the depth that they have. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of scary, the options that they have and the flexibility that gives them more so than anyone else in the league, I think. Even teams who have added depth, I think there's, the, the level of depth that Chelsea have and the quality is kind of otherworldly. Well, I was really excited by this tactical formation because I thought, you know, for Chelsea to win the Champions League, they're going to have to innovate and create new problems for the opposition. And I looked at this and thought, well, this is the kind of, this is, this, this is a statement for how you're kind of, second game of the season, this is the kind of statement you're making in terms of the creativity. Because you could easily have just gone with right and on the left, mm. right, and just put Kirby behind the front two. And that would have been the more conventional thing to do. But the fact that she didn't, I was like, ah, this is the kind of innovation I'm, I'm looking forward to over the course of the season. The game, uh, the week, the game, the weekend rounded up with a sh- another showpiece fixture. There was loads of showpiece fixtures this weekend in the WSL. Uh, the Merseyside Derby at Anfield, watched by 27,574. Great crowd, yeah. It sounded great too, yeah. Which yeah. meant, uh, Molly Hudson tweeted this, the 89,381 fans watched the WSL stadiums this weekend, which smashed the record attendance for the weekend. Wonderful. Worth pointing out that while it was a WSL attendance record in the North London Derby, it wasn't the highest attendance for a women's domestic fixture in England, which 
still stands at 53,000. 50, yeah, yeah, yeah. 1920, just before they were like, hang on a minute, this is getting a bit too popular, we need to ban this. Exactly. Ditko's Ladies Against St. Helens. It was sad when I saw that fiction. I saw when I saw the 47,000, I remember thinking, yeah, that's about what it was all that time ago. It's like it's gone full circle. Hundred odd years, yeah. Awful, I know. Yeah. Awful, yeah, yeah. But um, now Liverpool, back down to earth with a bump after a high-flying opening weekend. Yeah, but Everton just a good side though. Just they a good were side. good. They yeah, were very yeah. good. Um, and, and, have, and have been for a while, yeah. Everton beating Liverpool 3-0. Uh, goals from Megan Finnegan, Jess Park, which was, Jess Park's goal was lovely. We might have to uh, talk about that a little bit more in Wrighty's house. And Hannah Benison, right at the end, uh, gave Everton the win. And Everton were really good. Yeah, they were. Yeah. This was a fair result only because, you know, they're just a really, really good, solid um, mid-table team in WSL at this point. And this is, this result reflects reality. Uh, maybe the third goal is a sort of slightly heavy blow. I think 2-0 would have been a bit better. But yeah, mm. fundamentally, Everton just a good, a good side. I wouldn't say they're the kind of, the standard for Liverpool because that is obviously, that's inflammatory language. But I think, if, if Liverpool can end up making the kind of impression that Everton made, that would be really, really good. I think it, I think there's a depth issue with Liverpool at the moment. Uh, I think it's interesting for Liverpool because this season, not wanting to get too big picture already for Liverpool, but I think yeah, yeah. They're, they're kind of playing catch-up. They've yeah. had a, you know, a much publicised underfunding of the women's side of the club. They're trying to remedy. And they some have good remedy. recruitment, yeah. Some good recruitment. good recruitment, more investment, but they're still playing catch-up on a lot of those bigger size. Now, a club the size of Liverpool, you can make large gains in a short amount of time but yeah it's going to be a good few years of building blocks before Liverpool I think are going to be cemented as a, as a side that's challenging for the Champions League it's going to be hard to break into that top three yeah very much so do you want to give a quick shout out for the Frauen Bundesliga Bayern beating Werder Bremen 3-0 oh yes 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 um, Linda Dahlmann against uh, Werder very impressive for Bayern in particular really really impressive Sometimes get slightly overshadowed by the quality in that t- elsewhere in that team, but really strong. And uh, Magul and Stanway, that is a really impressive midfield. I really like That's that. That's a busy midfield. Really, um, <laughs> that is a, do you know, if you're in opposition, that is a pain in the ass midfield. Oh my goodness. They just don't stop. They just don't stop. They don't. They Stanway don't. just le- letting off like absolute fire from 20, 30 yards this game. Julia Gwynn with what they call an Olympic goal, the goal directed from corner. Oh, yeah, there's, yeah. A fu- there's a funny I thing that happens. That's a Spanish thing, isn't it? Olympic there's goal. a funny thing that happens actually with with um, goals from corners. You see, you don't, you never just see one in a weekend. They normally come in clusters, right? So there was another one elsewhere in the. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's elsewhere in the frown as well. I think in the uh, Wolfsburg Hoffenheim game. Okay. So the headline is so three 0 a Bayern beat Verder. Uh, really strong win for them. They look really impressive and just just a beautifully coached team. Moving very well in sync, playing well. Stanway already looks part of that midfield, really well incorporated. And they've got a great chemistry, her and McGall. And then Wolfsburg with a very late win against Hoffenheim. That was a great crowd in that stadium, actually. Really raucous. Hoffenheim took the lead from a corner. And Wolfsburg just absolutely went at them in the second half. As the uh, commentator said, you know, very much uh, one-sided, one-way traffic. Roared with a very, very late equaliser. And then Jules Brandt, who left yeah, Hoffenheim Brandt, the previous season. Club. Brandt, Brandt hit the bar with a beautiful volley, actually, um, quite a bit earlier than that. So very frustrating for Hoffenheim to lose so late. But in reality, that was a well-deserved win for Wolfsburg. Um, so yeah, standout, that is going to be a hell of a title, hell of a title race. It is. The, the, the standout result for me, though, was to be in a Potsdam losing 3-0 at home to Duisburg, which I just think is a... Didn't see that coming, yeah. I, yeah, I'd be, I'd be 
a little bit concerned about that result because Turbina have yet to win this this season. They they drew their opening game of the season to to Bremen at home, but losing to Duisburg is a bit of a kind of like a. Mm, now I know that that's early result, in, yeah. And early on in the season, teams are coming back at varying levels, especially post Euros. But um, I'd be a little bit concerned. Already. They got caught napping, eh? Mm. Uh, so uh, Wolfsburg top. Lebanon points with Bayer Leverkusen and Bayern are third on four points along with Eintracht Frankfurt. Let's turn our attention to Spain. Hmm. Do you want to summarise or shall I summarise? You can, you can start, you can start. So in summary, the, the main headline is that um, the Spanish FA announces that 15 players from their women's national team have resigned in, quote, an unprecedented situation in the history of football. The RFEF confirmed that they had had emails from 15 players who wished not to be selected in what it labelled as an unprecedented situation in the history of football, both male and female in Spain and worldwide. The statement added that the players who had submitted the emails would only be allowed to return to the national team in the future if they apologised and asked for forgiveness, which is just very, very strange. In follow-up, basically, Spain's women have uh, released a... Con- collective statement to deny that they were asking for the head coach uh, Jorge Vilda to be sacked and the reason for the resignations is that it's due to playing in the current setup is affecting health and emotional state there are a number of people who reposted the statements including including Pateas and the statement said we the players lament in the first place that the RFEF has made public in a partial and interested way obviously this is translated from Spanish a private communication with information that affects our health which is part of our privacy sent in response to the request of the own federation to know which of us wanted to be wanted not to be summoned Commun- communication to which by the way we have not received a formal response so the spanish federation released a statement without formally responding to the players in the first place which i don't know about you but i don't think that's good this is a strange situation actually because i wonder if the players don't feel they have the leverage to outright ask for his resignation because here's mm. the thing, if 15 players are resigning from the national team on the basis of health, you're kind of asking for the person who's responsible for those conditions to head out the door. That's kind of what you're asking for, but you can't come out and say it. And maybe they're worried that if they come out and ask that expressly, they don't have the leverage to make Builder go. That's all I can think. Like, and I'm not, this is not a criticism at all, their strategy. It's more a question of the leverage they have because you see the Spanish Football Federation coming out and basically backing backing that guy fundamentally they were right maybe not to have taken that step of going it's him or us if that and that's quite a wild that's wild if you think about it. If you think about the players that spain have and what they've done for the game and how they brought the game to prominence it's not them that's the problem actually it's really not i mean we i think this is, this has been something that's rumbling on for a while and the flow rope made a really good point on on twitter where she said that it's an extremely brave move, especially given that when former yeah, yeah. teammates called for similar action after the 2015 World Cup, some of them never played for Spain again. This is the thing. And I think that that is a really, really valid point. I think the difference in that, the difference now is that because of Barcelona's success mm. and because of the attendance records, for example, at Camp Nou this season and because of Puteas winning the, the Ballon d'Or and the focus on Spain is also almost as an underachiever in the Euros, to be honest, even though they, they got knocked out by the eventual winners, which mm. 
is what it is. And they had a couple of major, 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 major players injured but going into the tournament. Yeah. There has been rumblings around Vilder for a while and how he's not hugely popular mm. coach with the squad and just how you said something earlier about how his, his methods and stuff we were, before we recorded. Yeah, to- yeah. Just the question really about um, Vilder's methods and how they were leading to a situation where it felt untenable for the players to continue this way with regard to their health issues, but also just the pressure. Like, it's not that these players can't handle the pressure of big results. It's the style of coaching is at odds with getting the best out of them, which I think is perfectly fair for them to raise. Mm. And it's, it, the thing that frustrates me is that the players, yet again, and we saw it with Norway, have to be forced to a point where they have to come out and take drastic action. And we've seen this. We've seen in the men's game, it's interesting, when, when the men were striking, the Nigeria teams were striking, people immediately go to the support of the federation. They're like, oh, look, they're greedy, they're not playing. But actually, no, like these are elite players who want to win for their country. The money's less than they get for playing for their clubs. Like, our sympathy should distinctly be with them. And the one thing I think is positive, actually, so far is that the sympathy so far seems to be with the players, actually, um, as far as I've seen. I hope that continues over time. Because the, pr- the real problem is, the problem that Federation, the problem that the players have is that ultimately, fan sympathy runs out at a certain point when the team starts getting beaten badly. Mm. And then that's when the scapegoating comes in. And it was interesting because a lot of people, the moment they saw the 15 names come out, people sent emails, people started looking for Patelis' name. They were like, well, they were looking, people, it was always like people not looking for excuses, but almost looking for like, how big is this really if the biggest player isn't behind it? And then of course, she's backed it publicly as well. Um, so yeah, just a bit concerned. I'm, I'm worried that Vilda might get his way actually, weirdly enough. I mean, he's just got a contract until 2024. There's a precedent for this. Yeah. Yeah. This has been going on for a little while with, you know, little rumblings coming out that mm. the team were unhappy with the way they were being coached and there was alleged very controlling over the top methods in terms of how things were being handled at training camps and stuff like that which probably sh- shouldn't say because it's not been confirmed anyway. Mm. Right, right, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it feels like this has been a little drip drip effect until the most recent training camp for the World Cup and it seems to have really kind of blown up after that and if you think they've got a World Cup on the horizon and they've probably underachieved so far it gives the it gives the Spanish Federation a decision to make because this crop of players isn't going to be around for a hell of a lot longer as they are and as we've seen with various crops of international squads before the cyclical nature of them can take a hell of a lot while to to return to that kind of level so people make the decision not to play for their national team Nine times out of ten because of an extremely serious reason. And shit has had to get extremely bad in order for one player is, to consider it's it's really worrying. Yeah. Let alone yeah. 15 en masse. Well, it's worrying how little leverage the players have in the women's game in this respect. I don't want to draw too many generalities or sort of sweeping conclusions. There is a little bit of a pattern, we have to say, we've seen it in the US, we've seen it in Europe as well, in the women's game where women come forward about these issues um, at the coaching level and there are men coaching them and they don't have the leverage to affect positive change or if they do have the leverage, it comes at a severe and significant personal cost. Mm. For Ada Hagerberg to not play for Norway for that long 
is absolutely shameful. Like, uh, I, don't, I hate to draw comparisons with the men's game. I'll just draw the one here. If, if, if Leo Messi, for example, had stood down from the national team for that period of time, heads would have rolled. Heads would absolutely have rolled. And this is what frustrates about the balance of power in the women's game at the moment in terms of basically the kind of, let's be honest, it's basically kind of the patriarchy. Like, you know, and I, it is what it is. And it, it's grim to see that because Barcelona actually and Spain should be preparing for a very exciting season. The national team, spectacular talents. They just sort out some of the finishing. They're basically there. The quality is there for them to win big, right? The quality is there. Barcelona should be looking forward to um, a resurgence in the Champions League, getting themselves back together and going at Lyon again. That should be the focus. Instead, they're mired in a dispute that doesn't need to be happening. It's not of their making. And it's taking up all their valuable time, effort, emotional energy. It's just, it's, it's, it's a scandal, to be honest. It is. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, we'll keep an eye on this. Yeah, definitely. But, um, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's good that it's now received. Well, this, this, this action has, has at least highlighted what the players have been rumored to be talking about for a little while, mm. or dealing with for a little while. And uh, when, when players are referencing the the effect on their own mental health and emotional state because of what's going on at an international camp. That's just not good. Right. It's just not good. Like every player dreams, every footballer dreams of playing for their country. And to have that kind of experience ruined because of the behavior of people in an authority position, I think just is just fucking grim. Well, this is the thing as well, but playing for your country, let's, let's be honest as well. There's so much goodwill attached to that, right? Yeah, because you're being paid less, you're traveling, you're often in um, maybe less, the conditions may not be what they were when you're playing for your club in some cases. So you're doing a lot, you're making a lot of concessions to play for your country. So just think how much goodwill you have to squander. Mm. Just think it's a highly motivated group of players. Think how much goodwill you have to squander. Think how bad things must have to get for people to remove themselves for consideration for selection. That is... Like we, we're talking around it because we don't know enough of the specifics yet. And so we can't speculate. All I will say is it must be extremely grave. And the details that will come out over the next few weeks and months will probably confirm that. I agree. All right, man. Should we talk about England? Let's talk about England. Relegation. Well, not even the relegation because they didn't get a playoff. They got fully relegated. My goodness, just bounced German out. Football in drink. Oh, bounced oh, out. Look at me. <laughs> oh, no. Defeat against Italy in San Siro meant that England have been relegated from League A of the Nations League. Uh, we're recording this, obviously, ahead of the Germany game at Wembley, which might have one of those last day of the season feels to it, where England charge away to a 4-0 win <laughs> when it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Do we need to worry about England going into the World Cup? A little bit. A little bit. I think yes. Okay, so we do because actually individual England players are in really good form for their clubs, right? Yeah. So actually, in terms of the performances they're capable of turning out and are turning out at the moment, no question about that. It's really exciting. We should be worried because they had a look, this mitigating factor, really, really tight run of games that sealed their fate in the uh, Nations League. So they had the game against Hungary. They lost, uh, I think, 1-0. They lost 4-0. And they had the draw against, I think, Germany sandwiched in there. 
And these were like sort of three games in like 10, 12 days, like straight after an extremely grueling Premier League season that went down to the final 15 minutes of the season, right? So England players coming off that, up against a well-rested, fully motivated, hungry team and just got absolutely, you know, sliced up. So those, those um, results can be understood in that context. Having said that, the overall arc of England, slightly concerning, it's almost giving an energy of like late era Tuchel at Chelsea vibes, where you've got a team that is struggling to create really decent opportunities despite the attacking talent. And for the first time, maybe there's a bit of a question over what Southgate is bringing out of this team in an attacking sense. And I, I hate to draw conclusions from a single result, but if we step back and look at the the results and the performances. Over it's not the last a single few. result though. Well, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. But I mean, because obviously like a lot of people, when they saw the one nil defeat, there was a lot of stress and angst about the specific uh, result, the Italy result. But looking at the last few months, England haven't generated free flowing football. It's and got these one games, goal in the Nations League. This is the thing. Right. Exactly. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, cause I know what I would say, cause a lot of people were like, oh my God, we lost to Italy. It's like, no, no, but look at the whole thing. Mm. But actually, it's even worse. The defeat is, I suppose what I'm saying, the defeat is even worse in context, actually. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, I think we've been, uh, what's the word, very tentative in any kind of criticism of Gareth Southgate because I understand that there is a culture around English, around the men's English, the men's England national, no, sorry, the England men's national team, I think just to kind of be a bit doom and gloom. Yeah. Like go into every tournament thinking we're going to win it and just every single slightly negative thing that happens is very doom and gloomy. Mm. There were a few things in the Euros where I was a bit like, I can't understand why he's not made that change yet. And I can't mm. understand why he's not made that change yet. But ultimately you get to the final and you lose on penalties. Mm. You don't fluke your way to a final. No, no, no. You don't. You just can't. You might fluke your way through one round, but it's hard to fluke your way to a final. It was not particularly spectacular, but pretty, what's the word? Just did the job. Mm. After the Euros, you go into World Cup qualifying and you, you know, you hammer the teams that you're supposed to hammer and you win your group and it's all fine. And then you go into the Nations League and it just looks a bit stale. And I think that's the thing about this Nations League campaign is that it just felt really dry, actually. Mm. And if you actually step back and think about the kind of players that England have at their disposal at the moment, Dry is not a word that we should be using around the England team. No, it's really not. It's not. Because it is fucking mega vibes, some of the people. And where, the, where these lads are playing their football, how they're playing their football, the one thing that this England side should not be is dry. Agreed. And it's dry. That's probably the biggest kind of talk radio hot take thing I've ever said on the podcast. It's dry, Musa. It's dry. Yeah, yeah. It is dry. And I, you know, the, the weird thing when I look at the, when I look at the formation that England played, the 3-4-3, three, if you look at the actual team, the individuals they use in the pitch, that's a pretty, that's a good team, right? Yeah. But the, the scary thing is, if you look again, more closely at the formation and everything, it's almost perfectly designed to remove the top 20% of most of those players' game. So you have Foden on the right as opposed to the left. You have Sterling on, uh, tucking in. Whereas actually, if, though, if, if Sterling is overlapping with a right wing back, that's a double threat of two flying wingers, basically, right? If you have Sterling coming in off the left, then I, I think you take away some of his efficiency, in my opinion, because I think as a flying winger, he's in more oppressive with an overlap because you've got, you've got James and Walker in the mix. Then you've got Bellingham and Rice in a midfield two. And 
look, here's the thing. Tomorrow can't players, get inside. Those players are amazing when they're like a bit more free. Maybe Rice can be deeper, but when Bellingham is a bit more free, higher at the pitch, he can do the damage, making the late runs, but you're making him run from deep now. Tomorrow can't get in the team. Maguire's there, not in the best of form. And I almost feel like that's a kind of, almost Southgate being like, I back my player because I know what he can deliver. There's no shame in making adjustments if that's not working. And it's not working. Tomori's played out of his skin, has been outstanding, won a league title um, with Milan and was good value for it. And one of the, not even the fastest improving defenders, just an accomplished defender and deserves a role Really there. good. Yeah. I just, it just felt like the team that he chose and the formation was perfectly designed to reduce the efficiency of all of those players in their key areas. And that, that sounds agree. really, really harsh, but if I look at, just, just in terms of, I'm not trying to be harsh, but in terms of how they were deployed, they were all deprived of that bit of freedom, if that makes sense, that would mm. really bring the best from them. I agree. And I also think that there's, I think it's probably been this way for a long time. And I think a lot of international sides are this way. So I'm going to add a little bit of context before I go in with this. So, yeah. I know that, for example, you cannot just pick the 11 best players in form or most informed players and just chuck them into an international side. You just right. can't do that. You can't yeah. do that. And, and because you'd be changing six or seven literally every game or every right. round of international fixtures. I understand that there, there needs to be a level of continuity to a national side. I get that. However, England have had a large period now since the Euros where they could have test-driven, let's say, a number of different formations and a number of different players in certain roles heading into the Nations League. I don't think this England side is particularly dynamic. I think it relies on everything going precisely how it needs to go in order for them to to create any kind of danger. Very early era Arteta. What happens is that national sides quite often get themselves into situations where selections are political Mm. and they kind of back themselves into a corner because, for example, there are a number of players in that side who probably shouldn't be starting at the moment. I would agree. Even though it's not that way, the England men's football team sometimes feels a little bit like the the men's cricket team, test cricket team. Interesting. Okay, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because actually, there are a couple of players who probably shouldn't have been starting and there are way more dynamic players available who I think could really come in and be hungry. Yeah, yeah. I know this sounds just a little bit like an old man ranting at a cloud, but I think the thing for me is just more of the frustration that you have. I cannot remember a time when England had so many genuinely exciting players that would allow you... Yeah, do you know what I'm, you know I'm going to do? I'm going to go Musok Wongo on you, and I'm going to make a cooking <laughs> analogy. <laughs> it is like having someone bring around the most unbelievable ingredients from picked up from numerous specialist shops on the way and then you're going I'm just going to have a piece of bread it's just do you know what I think the thing about it is and the reason why that's is happened that harsh? is am I being harsh I feel like I'm more I already feel like I'm being overly critical of Gareth Southgate because I, I feel like clarity just to clarify yeah. I absolutely love Gareth Southgate and I want him to do really well for England because I think that he he came into the England job at a very difficult time mm. and I think he steered that England team in face of some heavy, heavy criticism mm. from, let's be frank, some horrible people. Yeah, yeah. And he handled that so well. 
I feel almost bad criticizing his decisions on the football pitch, but I feel that he would respect me less if I didn't. Let me, yes, I think that's fair. And let me frame it this way then. Let me frame it this way. Um, I think that Gareth Southgate maybe has drawn, and we talk about drawing the wrong result, the wrong conclusion from certain results. The conclusion he might have drawn from the 2018 World Cup semi final and the final of the Euros is that safety first ultimately works. Here's the thing it works until it doesn't. And I don't know if safety first will work to win the next World Cup. Because I think the next World Cup, if you look at the teams that are really impressive and striking, you look at Brazil and Argentina, they have firepower, Ryan. They have firepower and they have worked out to score goals and they have a variety of goal scorers. You look at Brazil and Argentina, who are, Brazil, I think, narrowly at this point, are the team that excite me the most in terms of the variety of players that can score, that can take responsibility. You need to have a situation where you've got four or five people that you know can score reliably. And I just wonder if Southgate's previous success has been incredible, has made him almost uh, too much towards conservatism in terms of we'll win games one or two nil. I don't know if it's going to be like that. I reckon this World Cup could be like 2020, uh, um, 2002 when you have a Brazil team that's freewheeling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Does it mean that it's freewheeling yeah. and sets the tone? And I just wonder if he's kind of, um, uh, and this is with the greatest respect, I wonder if he's fully anticipated what type of football will be more dominant. Because don't forget, Emma Hayes was spot on when she said, two defence midfielders is the key for this tournament. We know that actually that was a brilliant piece of analysis and that Southgate was absolutely right in the context of the Euros. I think to win this World Cup is something like different. And I'm not sure if he's anticipated that. And I worry, I worry that he'll get caught short in that regard. I really worry. And I, mean, I say that with all, with yeah, all, with all, res- with all respect, I mean, you know, with all respect. Yeah. You could, you know, if you want to lean into it, it's a World Cup like no other and it's a bit of a chaos World Cup as well. Yes, it so very much just so. embrace the fucking chaos? Yes. Listen, you don't have to ask me twice. Put right. them all in there. I would make a rule. I'm not playing anyone with more than 15 England caps for the whole run in. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha, the Chaos Cup. Because fuck it, why not? Why not? No, I yeah. mean, I, I know I'm being a bit facetious there, but like, I want Southgate to do well because I think that he stood up in a statesman-like way that a lot of England managers in the past, a lot of football managers on the men's side have just, would just never have done. Yeah. And I, and he got England to a final and he gave us a, you know, we've been really, really blessed as England fans, I think in the last few years. Extremely, yeah. You know, the men's team going further than we've ever seen them go before in a tournament. And then the women, like, winning the... They, they bloody won the thing, basically. Mm. You know, giving us that unbelievable summer that they've given us this year and making history and the scenes around it all. And, like... And we've got two really, really good people as England managers, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on what we know about them. And uh, I know this might sound just a big... P- too, too kind of floaty and a load of people might be like, if he's shit, he's shit and he needs to go. But... I think you just you you look at the players that he has available and you're kind of like Gareth you've you've got a lot of you've got a lot of like you know, really again, really good good stuff to play with. Can there. I say in his in his defense and again we're speaking his defense here both of us in a sense. In his defense when the players who've delivered for you and when they fall out of form quite sharply your instinct is to back them. You see a lot with um, national teams where you know someone can deliver at national level. You almost give them a chance to play themselves back into form. You see it in cricket too, to be honest. When you know someone can deliver certain innings, there's only like, you know, a handful of people that can deliver a match-saving or match-winning century, right? Mm. Um, 
and Southgate looks at someone like Maguire as having that. You look at a player like Mount. I mean, Mount's just Mount's just good. Mason Mount's just a really good footballer. Um, and I'd like to see him start, to be honest, just generally. And I'm sure Southgate would in ideal world. But um, when players that you've relied on and who've been good for you fall out of form, it's tough because do you throw them under the bus, which dropping them kind of represents in the public eye, especially when someone like Maguire like, takes so much online. Like it's almost an element of, I'll keep him in to be defiant. And I'm not, not knocking that at all. It's just the gamble that you see so many national team managers make before big tournaments. Um, the gamble that they'll come good. And hopefully we'll all be wrong. Hopefully you and I will have said all of this and Saka will come out left wing back and he'll be flying and Reese James will just be utterly dominant and Rice and Bellingham will get that piston going like Kante Kovacic and, and that will work and hopefully we're all wrong. But at the moment it looks as if Southgate may be a bit hamstrung by both loyalty the twin demons of loyalty and the tactical conservatism that got him really, really far um, in previous tournaments. I hope we're wrong, but I don't think we are. Do you know what, everyone? If England win the World Cup, you can thank us both for this podcast. Yeah, and if they win um, and we're completely wrong, direct all criticisms to... <laughs> no, at come at me. Ryan at our, no, at our Kwonga. This could be my chance to be cancelled. At our Kwonga, come at me. You touched on something interesting that I want to just just uh, reply to before we before yeah. we bounce. You said something about you know the the you know dropping players, and I actually think this is something that maybe needs to change in a cultural sense towards mm. the England squad. Yeah, because I think it happens. I'm not sure if it does happen more frequently elsewhere, but maybe like anecdotally, I seem to notice it a little bit more elsewhere in the sense that just uh, reduce the importance of being dropped the national side for one game yeah yeah increase the the what's the words like the cultural acceptance of rotation in an international level Mm. if there was a bit of an overhaul in the culture or the the like the stigma of of being dropped for international level for i don't know two or three games if you're not massively in full that's why actually on another level like to give southgate praise I was a big fan of the Eric Dyer call-up because I think he's been playing really well for Spurs. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. Uh, by the time you listen to this though, England may have already beaten Germany 4-0. So. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So it could be moved. Oh, one thing before, we, before I seal off my analysis of this, shout out to Raspadori, which is a, a signing that I absolutely loved. I loved when he went to Napoli. Um, he scored a beautiful goal, reminiscent actually of sort of the old school Del Piero Abagio actually, oh. the takedown and finish. Gorgeous first touch, takedown and finish. And again, here's the thing. This is what happens when you reward players for brilliant yeah. form. This is what happens. Just give play them a run. Them. Yeah, yeah. Play them. Play them. It's fun. If they're streaking, if players are streaking for, not, not naked streaking, if players are on a hot streak. <laughs> Let them streak. <laughs> I was, oh my God, we didn't see that. What oh my God, you know what? That's, a, that's, a, that's a new Stadio t-shirt. If give they're streaking, let them streak. <laughs> if they're streaking for their clubs, they can streak for their countries. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh God. I think it's time to, I think it's time to bounce. After that. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. We can't talk about can we? Uh, don't forget to check Wright's house. That'll go up Tuesday, late afternoon, early evening, UK time. Uh, Stanley will be back on Thursday. We were Oh, we didn't even mention it at the top of the show. We were supposed to do what ifs this episode, but because of all this stuff, we're going to do the what ifs on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's going to be a Moose and Ryan special. We've picked out a couple Can't wait. to ask each other. Very excited about that. Don't forget to check theringer.com 
And don't forget to check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. And speaking of which, we are playing out on just the intro of The Creator Has a Master Plan by the late, great Pharaoh Sanders, who sadly passed away this weekend. Moose and I are big fans of Pharaoh Sanders. Huge fans. So we're just going to play out on the intro from this all-time classic. And uh, and then we'll, 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 we'll get out of here. Anything you want to add, Moose Ogwanga? Yeah, just very quickly, rest in peace, Hilary Mantel. Um, yeah. Thoughts to her friends and family, uh, the readers that loved her, the people that loved her. I can just say this um, without wanting to make it too personal a note. Hilary Mantel, as we know, an astonishing writer. Um, many of whose best, you know, it's funny because she wrote so many great novels and the really famous ones that everyone know that bring up the bodies and uh, Wolf Hall that won the Bookers were really just two stars in the constellation of her talent. Mm. And by all accounts, not just a wonderful writer, but an even better human being who did so much to speak out um, on behalf of people with endometriosis in particular, which is just something that ravages the lives of so many women um, across mm. the world. And she was incredible as an ambassador for that and just a wonderful human and someone who um, really showed a lot of people immense kindness and will be dearly missed, um, obviously as a writer, but even more as a human being. So. Rest in peace, Harry Mantle. And rest in peace, Ferris Sanders. Absolutely. We'll be back on Thursday. Much love, everyone.